You're listening to a message from Maranatha Church of Jacksonville. For more information, please visit our website, maranathajax.com. Hey guys, this week on our Throwback Thursday podcast episode, I dug way back in the archives till 2007, back when we hosted a Passion for Jesus conference. And this message is just titled Passion for Jesus by Alan Hood. And it's really good about talking about Jesus' love for us and kind of our mission in general. And it's it's a long one, but it's a good one. So we're going to share it with you guys again today. So I hope you enjoy it. I'm honored to be here with you this morning. For, for you are the saints in Jacksonville, the excellent ones in whom is all his delight. You're the ones he died for. You're the ones he fought for unto death and refused to be without for all eternity. You're the ones that he's going to join himself with and you're going to rule and reign with him forever. You're the ones. You know how we sit in church and we wonder, who is that group? Well, you're it. It's you. You're the ones he loves. You're the ones his heart is moved towards this morning. He's looking upon you out of all the hundreds of thousands in Jacksonville. Here you sit to honor him. You sit to be open to his word. And you have to ask yourself, how, how does he feel about that? I don't know about you, but when my children and my wife takes time to sit with me, to be concerned how I think and feel about them, there's no other feeling in the world like that. When your wife looks at you and takes time and says, what do you think? Where are you at? Oh, I I tell you what, I'll move mountains when she does that. When she gives me her attention, when her eye catches mine, I mean, I will do anything. She can ask me anything. If she connects with me, she can ask me anything. I tell you what, that's, that's what you're doing this morning. When you gather, you're telling him we're here to acknowledge your love and we're here to love you back. You're the excellent ones in whom is all his delight. And I am so privileged. I grew up in McClinney right down the road. You know, the, the, um, we were the ones that all the, the disc jockeys made fun of in Jacksonville. We were the sticks. We were the outback, the bush over there in McClinney. And so, um, but I tell you, I am so, have such affection in my heart for this region. I probably spent more time over here on weekends than over that way. And I'm just so privileged to see the people of God loving him this way. I'm so moved this morning by your love for him. I'm so moved by the way you sang the songs. was in a religious service, I felt, this morning. You know, as I travel, I've been in a lot of religious services. But religion doesn't move Jesus. People move Jesus. People who love him. And I I just want to say thank you. I feel refreshed in the grace of God. And I feel like I can go back to Kansas City and say, Jacksonville, there are people who love him well. Be encouraged. And I want to tell you something. The days are coming in which we can't do this alone. God is going to release a global witness concerning his son from all the cities of the earth. That is going to be the last great witness before he returns. And he's knitting us together in love. And, you know, the world has become a small global village. And we're all connected. And and so I'm honored to be here. 
Well, I want to share with you a few things this morning that I feel like the Lord's put on my heart. Friday, I wanted to share, since this conference has been Passion for Jesus, I wanted to share um, what I feel like the Lord is saying to the church in regards to us corporately having passion for Jesus. How many of you know there's a difference between my individual pursuit of God and us pursuing God together? And I can be in one season in my individual pursuit of God, and yet the corporate body be in a whole nother season. Because my experience doesn't necessarily reflect the totality of how God looks down on a nation or on a church in a nation and how we're doing. And so on Friday, I tried to give corporate perspective to why I believe we're in a window of history in which the body of Christ can begin to come together and gather and fast and pray and call upon for God to have mercy on us in this hour. In fact, right now, the, the call and IHOP and Rick Joyner and various ministries have issued out an invitation to a 40-day fast that began May 28th that's going to culminate in July 7th, 07, in Nashville at Titan Stadium with 100,000 people gathered together from the nation to fast and pray and call upon God to send revival to our land. Forty years ago was the summer of love in America. Forty years ago in San Francisco, the summer of love began, and that's when a cultural revolution took place. When a generation decided, let's follow our own inclinations. And so for the last 40 years, we've reaped the fruit of independence and immorality and the taking of life. And so we're coming together for 40 days to say, God, we're sorry for the last 40 years. How many of you know when you're in an argument with your spouse, you can say, honey, in the grace of God, we're supposed to forgive one another. I've already moved past that. I know I did you wrong, but I've moved beyond that because I know you need to forgive me. I've already moved on. We're forgiven, right? We're good. And she looks at me and she goes, I don't think so. I don't think you understand at all. Why? Because there's a need to say, I'm sorry. There's a need to stop for times. You know, our relationship isn't made up of I'm sorry all the time. You know, if I spend all the time with my wife saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's not too good, is it? (laughs) We, We have love and affection and play and joy and sobriety and there but there's some seasons where i need to say i'm sorry to my wife but that's not the whole of our relationship the whole of our relationship is way more exchange of love than i'm sorry and so most of us spend a lot of time to god in our relationship saying i'm sorry but we never move on to the exchange of love and play and enjoyment but we're in a corporate season In which the nation, the church in our nation is saying, I'm sorry. That's the corporate season. Now, individually in our relationships, we're in a multifaceted relationship with God where some of the time we say we're sorry, but a lot of the time we're in the exchange of love. And so I want to speak this morning on the exchange of love on what it means For us to have a love relationship with God. And I specifically want to talk about what he's after. Because we 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 talk about discipleship. 
And we talk about the means of grace. And we even talk about church mission and vision, 40 days of this, 50 days of that. Get your vision set forth and make it plain. But what I'd like to know is, what is Jesus's vision for me? What is his mission statement? What is he expecting out of this with me? What is he willing to die for? I always go back to that question. Is what I'm living worth him dying for? Is it what he's after? Because that's a, that's a huge question. How many of you know you will live by the questions that you ask? And in as much as your questions are good, is in as much as your life will reflect. Let me say that again. You will live your life by certain questions that form presuppositions of your life. And you only live the quality of life in as much as you ask the right questions concerning life. It's a great tragedy when you see someone live 60, 70, 80 years and they never ask the right questions. And let me tell you, there's no more greater question than this. How should I inherit eternal life? Or I'll say it this way. What was Jesus dying for? What was he after when God became a man? When the almighty God, everlasting, eternal, omnipotent, omnipresent God took on our form and fought for us, even unto death, what did he want? Because a God who's in love so much that he will humble himself to that degree and fight so hard, even unto death, I can assure you want something. We didn't storm Normandy and march all the way to Berlin to then go, okay, you can have it all back. We were just showing that we were serious about Europe. You can have it all back now, Hitler. No, we had reason for such sacrifice. And I want to tell you, Jesus has reason for such sacrifice. And it is as holy as love is. It's as holy as that. Turn with me to John 17. This is the greatest prayer ever prayed. I believe it is the greatest prayer. You could make a case that the Lord's prayer is. And that would be a good case to make. But I believe it is the greatest prayer ever prayed in the Bible. It's at least in the top two. And this prayer gives us unique insight into the heart of Jesus like no other prayer does. Because this is the hour before he's going to die on the cross. And he lets us know the deep workings of his heart. And how many of you know this? As a believer, as a Christian, you know that Jesus is the highest revelation of the Father. If you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. He tells us what God is like. And so as Jesus reveals his heart in this prayer, we know what God's heart is like. And that's the big issue. Many of us go through life learning about the attributes of God, but his heart is far from us. We don't take the time in the relationship to ask him what his heart is like. How do you feel God? Beloved, I know he's omnipotent. I know he's all powerful. I know he's eternal. And yet I can live my life at a distance 
understanding his attributes, never knowing his great heart towards me. Why did you do what you do, what you did? What were you after, Jesus, when you came? Father, when you sent your son, what moved your heart? What caused you to come for me? And that's why I love to read the Gospels. If you're a new believer, I want to tell you, there is no more glorious thing than to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and see how Jesus responds to people. Because if Jesus responded to them like that, he'll respond to you and I like that. And that means God responds to us like that. And he never despised the sinner from coming to him. And that means I can come. Warts and all. That's what Brian was saying at the keyboard. Warts and all come. Talk to him. So turn to John 17. I'm going to, I'm going to pray a prayer and then jump right in. Father, we love you. We love what you're like. We love how you love us. I ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit, That you would set this room apart for love. I ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit. You would make known what is of Jesus. And make it known to us. How he loves. How he feels. What he thinks. What he's after. What he's looking for in us. And would you help us love him back. Would you cause us to love you. We cannot love you. Unless you help us. So we lay down our weak efforts. We lay down our shame, our condemnation, and we say, have your way in us by the Holy Spirit. Cause our hearts to love you more. And come do what you love to do in this short time. Take weak human words and put power on them. And cause our hearts to open and expand. Lest we live before you singing, praying, Reading and our hearts locked up, unable to feel the affections of your own heart. So come, Holy Spirit, and do that in Jesus' name. So let's look at John 17. If I can get, I don't know if there's a monitor or something where I can get a little more oomph because my voice is feeling weak. I don't know if you can do that. Just try. If you can't, so be it. Okay, John 17 Like I said, this is the greatest prayer ever prayed or one of the top two greatest prayers ever prayed, giving us insight into Jesus' heart. And to give you a little context, Jesus has just had the Lord's Supper, communion with his disciples. Oh, how I've longed to have this meal with you. He's washed their feet. Judas has decided to betray him. He's taken time in John 13 through 16 to prepare the disciples for his coming crucifixion and then his ascension when he'll be leaving. And so he's sharing with them his heart. He tells them such things like, just as I have loved the Father, so I love you. I mean, what an amazing statement. As much as I love God, I love you. God in the flesh says, as much as God loves himself, he loves us. Do you get that? As much as God loves himself, he loves us. He prepares them and says, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be with you forever. I'll never leave you. Lo, I'll be with you always, even under the end of the age, he tells us later. And then in John 17, 
actually, according to Matthew 26, after that, he then sings a hymn and he makes his way to the Mount of Olives. And on the way, he prays this prayer and John records it for us. Now, what you have to understand, this is the moment before he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane and the moment before Judas betrays him and the moment before he goes to the cross. And so Jesus is going to reveal something so precious in his heart that we have to pay attention to. And he begins, and in the first five verses, he reminisces on his relationship to the Father. And he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your name. Glorify your Son, that your Son might glorify you. Father, the hour has come for redemption, when the Son will lay down his life and bring you great glory by saving the masses who were lost in their sin. He reflects on the glory he had with the Father before creation. And in verses 6 through 19, he begins to pray for his apostles, the eleven, the disciples. And he tells them, Father, they kept your word. They believed that you sent me. And I've kept them safe from the evil one. And he prays two specific things. He says, now, Father, keep them from the evil one and sanctify them by your truth. I've sanctified myself that they would be sanctified. Now, Father, keep them and sanctify them. And then in verse 20, now he's looking forward through the centuries. And I picture it as he's walking to the Mount of Olives. He's picturing you and I, the thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions and even billions who would believe on him because of the faithfulness of those 11. He's watching tapes in his mind concerning you and I. And he prays that we would be unified with him. That we would be one with him as he is with the Father. That we would be one with him. We would be one with one another in order that we would be fruitful. That the world might know that that the Father sent him. In other words, if we live in mystical communion with him, mystical communion with one another, we will release a witness that will bring in the lost. That's the point. And then in verse 24, he erupts with desire. You you ask the question, is, is God emotional? Well, right here it tells us. In verse 24, he erupts with passion. In other words, he's going, I've seen her warts and all. I'm willing to lay down my life for her. But Father, if I lay down my life, if I go to the cross... Here's what I want. And he lays forth his mission statement for you and I. For all eternity, this is what Jesus is after. Beloved, if you can ask that question and answer it rightly, what is Jesus after? And you can answer it rightly. You'll set your heart in a way that your life will bear the fruit of intimacy with him. If you don't, You can live a religious life with a locked heart and be no further than when you started. How many of you know that? If your heart is not unlocked before God and you can't talk to him and grow in grace and every time you fall, run to him instead of away from him. How many of you know you will opt for religion And when you show up on Sunday, paint the face on, but you don't have this intimate connect with God where you talk to him. 
You will opt for religion. Your heart will shut down, shrivel up, and you will be faithful in front of people. But you won't know him. And you'll be no further than you were the first day you started. That's the tragedy. You know, the biggest tragedy in Christianity are Christians who don't know God. I'll say it even further. The largest tragedy in Christianity is Christians who came to know God and then don't move to enjoy God. Love it. He didn't save you for mere faithfulness. He saved you for love. Let me tell you, when I'm with my wife, I'm glad she's faithful. I like faithfulness. She likes faithfulness. But I want to tell you, faithfulness without affection just does not cut it. In fact, it's the pain of marriage all over the earth. Faithfulness without love. It's the tragedy of human marriage all over the earth. We long for the affection. Why do we long for it? Because God made you in his image. He longs for it. And in verse 24, Jesus says to the father, if I'm going to die, this is what I want. This is what I'm after. When you raise me from the dead and you sit me at the right hand, I want humans who have these three things. So let's look at it. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me. Look at that. Father, I want this. I want nothing less. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. Now, look at this. The very first thing that Jesus desires from us is that we would be with him. This is a profound statement. You go, okay, he wants us to be with him. No, do you know what that means? This is not a matter of proximity, just, okay, stand near me. It's, he wants to be with us. How many of you can live your whole life in a room with thousands of people and feel alone? That's not being with them. Just for the record. That's not being with them. That's being near them. That's not being with them. He wants us to be with him. He desires a companion. The Bible begins and ends with a wedding. It begins with a wedding in the garden and it ends with a wedding on a sea of glass. Where God joins himself to the remnant of the human race who said yes to him. He's looking for a companion. He's not looking for just servants. Now, this is an important distinction. Does he want us to serve him? Yes. But he wants us to serve him like a wife serves her husband and like a spouse serves her spouse. That's a difference. And we've got to understand the difference lest we misinterpret God. You see, we are the objects of his affection. He longs for partners, not subjects. Beloved, have you seen how many angels are in the Bible? Have you seen how many servants God has around his throne? 10,000 times 10,000 angels minister him to before his throne and their servants. How many of you have read the angels in the book of Revelation? One stands on the sea. His other foot stands on the land. You do the math and that's several thousand feet tall. 
There's one angel who stands right in the middle of the sun. You do the math on that. It's a lot bigger than the one who put his foot on the earth and put his other one on the sea. There's another angel who comes down from heaven and illuminates the whole earth with his glory. Does he need any more servants? Was he after a service contract when he formed you in your mother's womb? What did he want? What was he after? He's looking for a companion. Father, I want them to be with me where I am. In fact, Deuteronomy 10, 14 is one of my favorite scriptures. It says, indeed, the heavens are his. The highest heavens are his. The earth and everything in them. But he set his affections on you. To love you. What is God after? I tell you, this is great news. And I inform you today that God cannot be a bystander in the affairs of men and women. He can't make the world, set it into motion, and stand at a distance. Because his affections are set on us. In fact, he says in Jeremiah, to a backsliding Israel... To those who were unfaithful, he said, though even a man who's married to a wife, if she runs off and then tries to come back with him, will he take her? No. But I will take you, says the Lord, for I am married to you. Turn to me, for I am married to you. In other words, his affections are so lavish, even though we go to the full extent of unfaithfulness, he will hunt us down and take us back if we say yes. That's how much his love is set on us. That's the largeness of his love. That's what his heart is like. And in Hosea, he tells him to go marry a prostitute because he wants Hosea to learn a huge lesson. Even when she has children from another man, love her. What what do you mean, God? I, I, I didn't sign up for this. I signed up for the school of the prophets. I mean, I want to do the Elijah thing. I want to call on fire. Just kill people. That's what I want to do. The prophet thing, you know. Command the waters to open up. And God goes, Hosea, I've reserved for you something so special. It's much greater than fire coming down from heaven. I've reserved for you to display to the nation of Israel just how unashamed and abandoned and tenacious my love is. I've reserved it for you. This is not a duty. This is a pleasure, young man. And when you marry her, and when she has children of another man, and when she finds herself enslaved as a love slave to another man, at that moment, I'm going to give you a supernatural revelation of how much I love human beings. At that moment, Take everything you have and go buy her back and love her again. Are you crazy? He says, yes. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. I'm consumed by love. Tell you, if I had time. There's two, we know this, we're made in his image, and he longs for us to be joined to him. We're the one creature made for God. How many of you know that? You have a higher inheritance than the angels. 
We're the one creature made for God. It says in his word that he did not come to save angels. When a third of the angels fell, God did nothing. When 100% of humanity thumbed their nose at him and said, I don't think so. I'll do it my own way. He said, not so fast. Let me tell you something. I'm going to take on your form. I'm going to reveal my heart to you. I'm going to die on that cross for your sin. And I'm going to send my spirit to hunt you down and hound you out even to the uttermost ends of the earth. Until you say yes to me. You can run, but you can't hide. A third of the angels said, no, he did nothing. All of us said, forget it, God. He came after us with a vengeance. That tells you something about who you are to him. I tell you what, my son can be off and off and off and off and go the way of Cain and Balaam and be lost. But I want to tell you something. I'll hunt him down. Do I have his love? As a dad, I have two desires. That he know my heart and that he return my love with his. That's it. He can be a hairdresser. He can be anything he wants to be. He can be a florist. I don't care. I really don't care his service. I really don't. You know, we, I have three little boys, 11, 9, and 7. They're all boy. It's all manly stuff. I mean, it is WrestleMania. We got a king-size bed just to have WrestleMania. I've been to the chiropractor more times than I know. But I tell you what, if they want to do something that's not even in the manly category, I'm for it. Except for one thing. There's only one thing I want. Them to know my heart. Even though I'm weak. Even though I'm fallen. Even though I mess up. I do it wrong. When I want to love them, I don't know how. But I want them to know at the core of my heart, I love them with everything. And I want, number two, them to love me back. Beloved, I'm made in his image. Why do you think I want that? What do you think he wants? He wants you to know his heart without accusation. And he wants you to love him back. That's what he's looking for. He wants a companion. We are the one creatures made for God. He set his affections upon us. We're to be the eternal companion with Christ Jesus, his co-heir forever. And Jesus even kept a resurrected human body just to know how precious we are. To think that the second person of the Trinity would still be touchable in our form. I can't wait one day. I mean, I know we say dance with me, O lover of my soul. But the day I see Jesus, I mean, you women, you can do that with Jesus. The day I see him, I can't wait to touch God in the flesh. I can't wait. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to grab him and just try to take him down. And after he pins me and chuckles and slaps me on the bottom, and I high-five him, and he says, who's your daddy? I mean, that's going to be a day. I can't wait to do that with Jesus. God has joined us in our own form. Do you hear what I'm saying? The second person of the Trinity didn't take on your form not to have you close to him in love forever. At right now, at the right hand of God, a human stands 
with your body. Who happens to be fully God, fully man. The mystery that God joined himself to a weak creature like us. You know, in 1 Peter 1.12, it says that the angels look into our salvation and are baffled. They look at such weak creatures like us and they go, he did this for them. He took on their form forever. This is a mystery. And you might hear Jesus say, oh, but you don't understand the capacity that I made them with to love. For he and she who's forgiven much, they shall love much. And they're going to be the one creature to rule and reign with me in gratitude and in love. Beloved, if you want to know why God has set it up this way, because in the age to come when we rule and reign with him, he knew the one thing that would protect the heart of the creature made with such a high and powerful calling would be that which we call gratitude. And the next age, we will rule and reign with him. And we won't have to be concerned about falling in pride like Satan did because the gratitude of our hearts to say, when I was yet a sinner, he died for me. I'm the weakest of all creatures and he's made me the most glorious in the age to come. Do you know who you are? And yet our quiet times are filled with bargaining with God most of the time. Like he's mostly mad and mostly sad over our lives. Our quiet times, we know what I said is true, yet our quiet times look like we're still dealing with the guy we've made a service agreement with. I know I said I would do this, this, and this, but I just can't. Well, you better, you better pull your bootstraps up, buddy. You better get with it because I paid you money. My son died for you. The least you could do is do this. You better come through. And if you don't, and I'm in a bad mood on that day, I might not just let you in. Now, we don't articulate it like that, but that's the way our emotions approach him when we open the Bible after we've failed because of our weakness. Beloved, we got to get past that. We've got to go in our quiet time, and we've got to say before God, I'm a mess, but I'm the only mess you got. And I've looked around at everybody else, and they're a mess too. But you died for us to take the weakest creatures and make us the example of your kindness to all the cosmos. You see, we are the trophies of God to say to the rest of created order, not for the next hundred years, for the next billion times, billion times, billions of years, eternity of the greatness of God's kindness. That he takes the pauper and he makes us the prince. That he takes the harlot. And he makes us the queen that he takes the broken and he picks us up and he makes us the healers for the whole universe. Oh, beloved, do you know who we are? Have you heard God say it to you? And until you do, your heart will remain locked and shut down and your prayer life will be mostly. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so bad. I'm so bad. Okay. I'm so bad. And by about 45 minutes of saying, okay, I'm so bad. Now we finally read the scripture we set out to read. And then five minutes later, we have to leave. Love, we got to come in in the first minute and go, I'm sorry. Thank you that you made provision for my weakness. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you that you cleanse me. Thank you that 
You've set your affections on me. Now, would you cause me to love you? Would you cause my heart to love you? First John 4.19 says this. Write it down. First John 4.19. It says, we love God because he first loved us. In other words, we can't love him without the revelation that he first loved us. And in as much as you have an understanding of how God loves you is in as much as your ability to love him back. I find that with my children. In as much as they know how much I love them is in as much as how much they love me back. That's a lot of our pain. We never felt that from a father and mother. And so we don't know quite how to love back. But God says, even for the lonely, I'll set them in families. He says, I'll be a father to the fatherless. I'll teach them how to love back. And so we receive the love of God and we love him back. We respond. I could spend much more time on this point, but I want to move on to the second one. He says, Father, I desire that they also whom gave me may be with me where I am. And then he says something incredible, that they may behold my glory. I mean, imagine Jesus. He's praying. He's going, Father, if I die for him, let him be with me. Let him be a companion, not just a servant. Let him be affectionate towards me. Let them love me. And then he goes, and let them see my glory because you know what kind of glory I have, Father. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. In other words, Jesus goes, I am so lovely. (laughs) I mean, God is the only person allowed to be vain, right? He says, I am so lovely. Let them behold me. Let them see my glory. In fact, in John 1, verse 51, Nathaniel, you remember, Nathaniel is brought to Jesus. And as he's walking up, you know, Nathaniel made a statement. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And so as he walks up, Jesus says, here comes an Israelite whom there's no guile. There's no deceit. He's authentic. He speaks his mind, but it's really his mind. And Nathaniel says, how do you know me? He says, I saw you while you were sitting under the fig tree. In other words, Jesus in the gifts of that he operated by the power of the spirit saw prophetically where Nathaniel was contemplating earlier. He said, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. And Nathaniel goes, surely you are the king of Israel, the son of the living God. <laughs> I mean, just, and Jesus looks at him and I can see Jesus so smiling. And he goes, you are so easily fascinated, Nathaniel. I love it. I mean, I, I tell you a simple word of knowledge, like I saw you under the fig tree and you're ready to say I'm the Messiah. He goes, I love you. He goes, if you believe because of a simple word of knowledge, you haven't seen anything yet. I'm going to blow your mind. If you believe because of a word of knowledge, you're going to see greater things than this. You're going to see angels ascend and descend upon the Son of Man. You're going to see heaven open, Nathaniel. If your eyes are this easily fascinated at a word of knowledge, what are you going to do when I heal the lame man? What are your eyes going to look like when I cause the crippled hand to grow out again? What are your eyes going to look like when you see the Father's heart revealed through me when I cast out devils and restore legion? When I kick legion out and I restore the demoniac to his right mind. What are your eyes going to look like when I raise that little girl from the dead and say, little girl, wake up. What are your eyes going to look like 
when I call Lazarus out of the tomb? How's your heart going to be fascinated when after they kill me, I raise on the third day? And what are your eyes going to look like when you watch me ascend into heaven without any help? I'm going to blow your mind. Now, you've got to come to grips with a God who acts like that, who says, I'm going to blow your mind. Here's why. Most of us live veiled to the activity of God because our hearts are locked up and we have not believed that God wants to encounter us to bring forth a response. We see him as mostly like a distant father who has a to-do list. And if you don't, if you don't just check it all off and do it all rightly according to his process and his way, he's counting you out at every measure. Instead of a God who loves to bring forth the response of your heart by the revelation of who he is to you. Love when he brought Israel out of Egypt. Do you know why he brought him out of Egypt in the way he did? It says in Exodus 3 through 6, he says, I wanted to show them my wonders. When he wants a nation to worship him, what does he do? He releases wonders. When he sent Jesus, his son, he released wonders. Why? Just to show that he's the son of God? Well, yes, in one sense, but he did it with such flair. Your God has a sense for the dramatic is what I'm telling you. And he will arrange things in your life to blow your mind if you ask him. Anybody who's walked in the life of the spirit long enough knows that God sets you up right now for 15 years from now to blow your mind. He sets ambushes. He's after your heart. That's why you go. Everything's going so good. Then the bottom drops out. I go through a 10 year drought. What is that about? He goes, I'm setting you up. See, I live for the response. I want to tell you something. I live for the response with my wife. When the response is gone, that's the most horrible pain in the human heart. But I've watched in marriages that have lost that. And in one moment, at the age of 60, they look across the room. The response comes and they fall back in love again. My mother and father-in-law did this. I watched them. Jackson, we watched them fall madly in love in their golden years. You went, what just happened? They're like high school, giddish teenagers making out. I'm like, stop it. You're 70. <laughs> this is weird. But somewhere in the midst of the, the burden and the darkness and the growing apart, Someone initiated, someone responded, and bam, it happened again. That's the glory of marriage. God wants the response. He initiates. And if you do any study of Jesus, you will find out that he does the strangest things. I'm going to tell you one story, and then I'm going to move on. I could illustrate this all day. Why I always ask the question, I read and I go, Jesus, why did you do it this way? Well, there's one story in the Old Testament, Judges 13, where he showed up to Samson's mom. Now, this is Jesus as the angel of the Lord. He shows up to Samson's mom and he shows his glory and he tells her that Samson's coming and he gives the qualifications for him to walk in his Nazarite calling. So the wife goes back to Manoah and says, the angel of the Lord has come to me. He's come to me and he's told me we're going to have a child. 
And Manoah cries out and goes, Oh God, would you send the angel of the Lord again that I might see him? And so God, sure enough, Jesus comes again, the pre-incarnate Christ. He shows up for Man- Actually, he shows up to the wife again and the wife has to go get Manoah. Manoah comes. That's how it usually is. We're slow to get the things of the spirit. And then he gives our wife a dream. And suddenly now the whole household is believing in dreams that he speaks. It's how it is. I mean, you can be the most resistant person to the things of the spirit. And then he gives your wife a dream. <laughs> then you're done. Just give way right now. And so the point is, is that Manoah comes and he tells him. And Manoah is so overcome by the beauty of Jesus that he says, can I make an offering to you? Will you stay and eat with us? And can I make an offering to you? He goes, I can't stay and eat. He goes, but make an offering to the Lord. And then he says this. This is Jesus talking. You have to deal with God's personality because this is the revelation of who God is. He goes, why do you want me to stay? Seeing that I'm marvelous. In other words, I'm blowing your mind, aren't I? I'm really fascinating you right now. You don't know what to do when God shows up. And then the man builds a sacrifice. And do you know how Jesus leaves the scene? It says that while the smoke was going up and they were worshiping God, he jumped into the smoke and he arose into the air. That's what kind of God you're dealing with. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. What did he say when he rose Lazarus from the tomb? He says, Father, you always hear my prayers. He said, I don't have to say this out loud for me. He said, I'm saying it out loud for them. I want them to be blown away. Lazarus, come out. And everybody or many believed. Oh, beloved, do we have an understanding to behold our God? That Jesus wants you to see him. And that's why today the battle is over the eyes. If the, if the eyes are full of light, Jesus said, your whole body is full of light. The same faculties you use to see and gaze are the same faculties in which you use holy imagination as you read the text. Whatever you behold, you become like. And Jesus is saying, Father, I want them to be fascinated with me because whatever they behold, whatever they give their heart to, that's what they'll be transformed into life. You can mark down this verse, 2 Corinthians three eighteen. It says, we who behold the Lord as in a mirror dimly are transformed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. Beloved, I want to tell you something. Don't give your affections or your eyes to anything less fascinating than Jesus. You know, right now, the assault upon men and upon women in the realm of pornography is exactly because the evil one wants to darken our eyes so that we're not able to behold the beauty of Jesus. You want to know the way out of it? Give your eyes to something else. Because wherever your eyes go, your heart will follow. 
Gaze upon him. Meditate upon him. Get in the word and say, blow my mind. Show me what you're like. Visit me. Give me dreams. Give me visions. Let me evangelize the lost. Just come near me. Show me your glory. And the last thing that Jesus says. In verse 26, he says, Father, I've declared to them your name and will declare it again. Why? So that the love which you've loved me may be in them and I in them. He goes, the last thing he wants from you, he goes, Father, I want them to love me like you love me. Can you imagine how much the Father loves Jesus? Can you imagine how much the Father loves Jesus? He goes, I want them to love me the same way you love me. And I want to be in them. I want to be near them. And so, beloved, Christianity this morning is not about a religion. It's about a love relationship with Jesus. And he's beckoning us. His mission statement to Jacksonville, to this region this morning is this. I desire you. I want you to be with me where I am. I want you to behold my glory. I want you to give yourself to me. Don't run from me in your shame. Run to me and gaze on me and I'll help you overcome those weak areas of your heart. And number three, I want you to love me. I want you to serve me, sure. But I want you to serve me out of love. I want something different from you. This is what I'm willing to die for, Father. This is what I'm willing to give myself for. Well, we're going to close out. This is why Jesus, I'll say it this way. This is why God designed the cross the way he designed it. This is my last statement. How many of you know that God designed the cross? I mean, we don't even think about these things. We, we think, okay, humanity fell, and therefore, what was plan B? We kind of picture it like this in heaven. This distant God who made a creature that should have lived up to something. The creature didn't live up to it. Therefore, God had to put plan B into order. And it went something like this. Adam and Eve were in the garden. They fell. The word comes to God. The Trinity's up there. What do we do? What do we do? Our most prized creation has fallen. What do we do? An angel walks over from the side and says, well, in the library, I found this book. It's called the atonement book. It's how you make everything right. And it says in the atonement book that you can't make atonement without the shedding of blood. But it has to be a pure sacrifice. It has to be a sinless sacrifice. So where do we get a sinless sacrifice? Where... On behalf of humanity when they've all fallen. And the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit go, I know, I know, I know. One of us will come down and take on their form. But I don't want to very much. What drudgery to do that for such weak little creatures. And so the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit played paper, rock, scissors. Or thumb wars. No, that wouldn't work. They don't. Well, anyway, it wouldn't work. They know what they're doing. But the point is, is Jesus lost? And he's like, okay, I'll go, but I'm not going to like it very much. And if I do go, they darn sure better do what I say. It's the least they could do. My gosh. Get their act straight. 
No, it didn't happen like that. God designed atonement with the shedding of blood for one reason. To show you the depths of his love, what he was willing to do to, to secure your love for him. How far will God go for love of you? To the cross and back, beloved. To death and back. And I want to tell you today, Jesus, the one who fought for your love, his mission statement for your life and for mine is this. Be with him. Settle the issue. You're a companion, not just a worker. Your spouse formed in the heart of God, made for companionship with God. The one creature made for God to search his depths forever, to have your mind blown with his revelation. Do you know you can search the eternal God forever? For three billion years, you can search him out and be no closer than when you started. He's infinite in his fascination. And there is no greater pleasure than when God reveals God to your spirit. Because you were made for him. And when he does it, it causes us to love him. Just like when we release the understanding of who we are to another, it causes their heart to respond and love back. And there's nothing more powerful. And if you love it when humans do it with each other, try it with God. There's no addiction like it. There's no addiction that can stand up against God, revealing God to you. And if you can't even relate to what I'm saying, it's okay. You can say this. God, I have no idea what that weird man is talking about. This sounds so foreign to my grid for God. If you're like this, show me. If I'm more than just a hassle to you. Because I knew God loved me. I wasn't so sure he liked me. How many of you can relate to that? I mean, that's what God of loves have to do. They've, they've got to love you, right? It's part of their job description. You've got to love me. But he doesn't like me too much. Wrong. He doesn't just like you. He set his affections on you. He can't get you out of his head. Do you know what it says in Psalm 139? Do you know what it? As many as the sand, not more than the sand on the seashore are my thoughts concerning you. What does God think on? You. What is God consumed with right now? You. To make you holy as he's holy. Why? To conform you and make you a better servant? No. So you can enjoy him more forever. Forever.